you are sticklers for the calendar, you know that we've gone off course a little bit. We are planning to do the With Us series uh, through, well, last week would have been, you know, the beginning of a new series, but it, it re-dawned on me as we were thinking about the Easter season and what we were going to move in towards. And uh, for centuries now, actually, for centuries now, and this thing called Easter, the Easter season, which is 40 days leading up to the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, a season that uh, many in the church tradition have called Lent. It's been a season of preparation through self-examination and confession, and the examination of the sins has been a means to do that. And so we wanted to kick off the Easter season next week, March 3rd, uh, by going into the seven deadly sins. So you all, all should have a little uh, kind of a flyer, an insert would have been in your program. There are some we put out on the seats. These aren't primarily for you. You're already here. You're probably already excited about connections. You're probably already on board. You're probably already planning to come to the volunteer roundup. Yes, you all are, of course. So, so you're, this is for you to share and to invite and to get somebody maybe to come and experience what God is doing here with you. So we're going to be talking about these sins. And, and I want to say this about, about the sins. Um, we don't need to use the sins as a bludgeon. <laughs> and I think that's the misunderstanding so much, uh, so often uh, when we talk about sin in the church. Here's my personal conviction as a pastor and as a person <laughs> who lives and brushes shoulders with people and has friends and has family and, and has life experience. Uh, we have already experienced the impact of these sins in and on our lives. So we don't need to beat anybody up with them anymore. What we need to do is reveal them, shine the light of Christ on them, and find out the virtues that can lead them, lead people out of them. Do you understand that progression? What we want to do is we want to talk about things like envy and to say, you know what? You might be struggling with envy or people in your lives are struggling with envy. So what is the antidote? What is the freedom that Christ can offer us from this? So this is good news. When we talk about these seven deadly sins, this is good news because on the other end of each one is the opportunity to go deeper into life and faith with Jesus Christ. So again, for example, envy. Maybe, like, maybe that is your big thing. Like you're on social media, everybody's life looks better than yours, uh, you're getting depressed, uh, honestly, and, and, and you're like, I'm really struggling with this. Well, well good news. We're going to talk about this and talk about how we can find virtue on the other end uh, of envy. But maybe it's not your big deal, maybe, but maybe it's somebody else's big deal. Maybe it's your spouse's big deal or your kid or somebody you know or you love. Well, you'll also want to be here when we talk about envy envy because you'll be able to then help them. So make sense? Everybody wants to be here every Sunday for the next seven weeks. Right, of course. Um, oh, by the way, and next week, we're, we're going to follow the traditional progression, which goes from the sort of the outward, the exterior, uh, and, and those things that f affect us most outwardly to those things that affect us most inwardly. And so we're going to start with lust next week, and we're going to move all the way to pride, and then we're going to hear the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ at Easter. So again, please be a part of this series and share this series with those you know and love and are struggling with some of these matters. But today we are going to wrap up the With Us series, and I want to begin this wrap-up with an image. So let's have that on the screen here, and I got this from uh, the insights of John Ortberg. So 
There we go. Anybody know what this is? This is the, anybody? Sistine Chapel, the creation of man here. Uh, Michelangelo uh, in 2012, uh, this celebrated its 500th, said that right, 500th anniversary for half a millennium. The Sistine Chapel has been bringing beauty and awe and wonder into the lives of all who gaze upon it. But we want to focus in here on this creation depiction right here. And let's turn our attention first towards God. And so as we look at God, what do, what do we notice? We kind of notice that God is leaning towards Adam, that he's stretching out his arm, that he's reaching out his finger, that he's actually kind of like pulling the heavenly host in him. We kind of look at God as like buff and he's ripped, you know, and he, he looks like a manly man today, you know, with the big beard and, and all this. I mean, so he looked, you know, and, and he just, just he's almost, uh, you know, kind of just like taut with this straining towards Adam, Right? And then, and then, and then, and we usually are pretty captivated by God, and, and, and well, we should be. But then we look, then we look at Adam, and Adam, and maybe it's just me, but but Adam's kind of, uh, like, okay, I'll I'll reach out my arm, but I'm just kind of leaning back a little bit, um, you know, like, oh, there there you are, you know, he he he's he's kind of maybe indifferent. Almost. Now, 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 many have mused and wondered about this, and, and truly, the, the, the mastery of this is that it invites us to reflect upon it and, and to reflect upon our own lives. And, and, and I'll certainly reveal my interpretation as we, as we gaze upon this. As I look upon this, I, I'm kind of reminded that it is God who is reaching towards us. It is God who is straining with his soul, whole self to reach out and to take hold of Adam, to take hold of man, to take hold of Adam and Eve, men and women. It is God who wants to kind of bring the whole heavenly host with him and to have an encounter with his image bearers, men and women. And it's Adam and you and me and humanity who so often kicks back and kind of says, eh, I guess so, maybe. If it's convenient, if it might help me, if it might serve me, the story of the Bible that we've been going into, and we can you know, get, get rid of the image now, the story of the Bible is the story told over and over and over again, is that it is God who is yearning to be with us, and it is we who are yearning so often to be without God. It is the most repeated promise and assurance of the Bible. I am with you. I will be with you always. And it is the pattern of humanity over and over again to turn our backs, to withdraw, to shrug our shoulders, and to maybe just say, eh, whatever, God. I learned a lesson in parenting, and, and I think it applies to this relationship that we have with God and this experience that we have in life and in faith. In raising my kids, and in many of you who are in the throes now of raising kids, you are probably well aware of the timeout, right? You know, very often whenever things kind of come to a, a, the, the, this head and things are at their worst, we'll, we'll often call a timeout, right? And, and, and indeed, you should take a timeout. If you're about to do something outrageous, like if you need to catch your breath and you're going to wring their beautiful little necks, like 
put him in timeout. And also what I learned in my life experience as a parent is I often needed the timeout. <laughs> I just need to cool off for a second. You go away. I'm going to collect my, collect my thoughts. But what I learned over the course of parenting was actually the value of the time in. That when my kids were acting up and acting out and when things weren't going right, what I actually needed to do was to call a time in. I needed to not put them out of my presence. I needed to get them with me and in my presence. And so I remember one time in particular, I, I can't remember the detail. I'm sure it was something totally innocuous, you know, like they took a cookie, you know, something. Like, and oh, the level of, of disobedience, you know, intensifies. So parents, you think your kids are awful because they, you know, whatever, took a crayon and wrote on the wall. Wait for it. So anyways, um, so, yeah, yeah, so, so something happened. And, and I just remember, I was like, okay, come to the table. And this is, this is years ago. My kids are, kids are here. They wouldn't even remember this probably. Uh, and I just said, like, just sit at the table. And I got them at the table. And I, I couldn't even speak because I had to collect my thoughts. Um, but we're just sitting there at the table. And I just remember one of my children just sort of squirming and fussing. And, and, and it was like the silence that became so loud, Right? It was just the presence of being in one another became so intense that finally one of my kids was like, I, I, I just sort of this moment, like, I can't take it anymore. I have to get away. And they like, you know, like broke from the table and they like ran away because they couldn't just, they couldn't be in the presence anymore. And this is the human experience so often that whenever we are engaging in actions, behaviors, beliefs, the way we're treating ourselves or the treating one another, whenever we know that we have withdrawn, we, we, we can't stand the presence you know, of our parents. Sometimes we can't stand the presence of God. We say, you know, look away. Look away from me. I mean, it's almost become cliché. But we should mention some of the things that we know that we're doing or we might be engaging in that we know that the result of this is that we're withdrawing from God. And we're a sense, in essence, you know, saying, God, look away. You know, look, look away, God. I'm about to say something to this person that I know will cut like a scalpel to their self-image. You know, you know, God, God, look away. I'm going to go to some websites that are not going to honor your image bears, and I just need a little alone time. You know, God, God, look away what I'm about to do at work because I have to do this in my industry to get ahead, and I know it's not right, but just look away, God. You know, we have these moments in life where we know we are willingly saying, God, just, just don't look at me for a moment. I can't stand your gaze upon me. I can't have you with me right now. There's a blessing that the priests were instructed by God to give over the people, and it's very revealing about the relationship that God wants with us, but that sometimes we don't want with God. It was called, the, called Aaron's blessing or the priestly blessing, where the priest would go to the people, and, and the priest would actually put their hands on the people, and they'd say, the Lord bless you and keep you. And then, and then here's the thing. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And then, it'd go, and then it goes actually even deeper. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. 
See, but our reality in life and our experience in life is so often is that whenever the Lord shines his face upon us, the light of it seems to illuminate some dark things that we might not want to be revealed. Whenever the Lord turns his face towards us, we feel anything but peace at times if we know we are willingly walking away from God or doing things that dishonor him or others or ourselves. Now, we are going into some of the bad news right here. Don't worry, there is good news in this. But that is the invitation ever and always from God that as often as we turn away in disobedience, God is always offering to us, the Lord will bless you and keep you. I want to turn my face towards you and be gracious to you. I want to shine my light upon you. And I want you to have my peace. So this is the invitation of our God who wants to be with us. In order to wrap up this series, I want to look to the life of a man named Gideon and his experience from wanting to turn away from God and yet God keeping over and over again to turn towards him and to draw him in. We, we pick up the story of Gideon in the time of the judges. And we should pause on that just long enough to say there was a time of the judges and the time of the judges was an in-between time. And if we could just take a moment to get ourselves in the right mental and spiritual place, we often, too, find ourselves as an, an in-between time. Now, the thing about in-between times is we don't, we don't know it's an in-between time, right? <laughs> we know the past is in the past, and we don't know what the future brings. We only have right now. But the reality is it's often helpful for us to recognize that wherever we are at, you, it's an in-between time. You are somewhere in between birth and death. You are somewhere in between. You're coming into this world, and you're going into eternity. So whatever happens in between should be preparing us for what is to come. Whatever, I mean, if you're experiencing, you know, health right now, you are probably in between illnesses. If you're experiencing illness right now, you are in between health and, well, and, and, and maybe the end. Whatever, whatever we are at, we, we are in this in-between time. But this time in-between is the time that we have to experience God with us and to be preparing us for what is to come. For the people of God, their in-between time comes in between their exodus. They're coming out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and their time when they would establish the kingdom, and the kingdom would establish the line of Jesus Christ and his birth, and then our salvation and redemption through him. So they're in this in-between time where they are ruled over by judges, and this in-between time would be characterized then by this cycle. It was this sort of, it was, like, it was like a record sort of skipping and on repeat and just going over and over again, where, where the people would be with God. They would embrace God, they would be with God, they would be worshiping God, and then they would drift from God. And their drift from God, and the Bible call it idolatry uh, and different kinds of things that they would fall into, they would find themselves in, enslaved then, captured by the things that they would drift towards. They drift towards the worship of Baal, but then they would be captive then to the nations that brought the worship of Baal 
to them, and they would become enslaved. And then they'd recognize what happened. They'd look at their situation. They'd look at the, the, what they got themselves into, and they'd cry out, help us, God. And God would be gracious and turn his face towards them and be gracious to them. And he would send them a deliverer. He'd send them a judge. And they would listen to the judge. And then they would experience peace. And it would be anywhere from like a few days, some situations, to maybe, maybe as much as 80 years. And this is this cycle that keeps repeating. And again, if the pastor and the preacher can be sort of state the obvious, which again, we should sometimes state the, the obvious, this is again... It resonates with the hearts and the minds and experience of men and women for centuries now because we look in our lives and we're like, that's my cycle too. <laughs> that's my pattern too. I seem to embrace this time with God. Things get good and then I seem to drift from God. And my drift with God comes with certain consequences and certain pain or hardship or struggles. I cry out to God. God is gracious. And I draw close to God once again until I be, and so this pattern seems to repeat itself so often in the lives of the people of God and, and in our own lives. And into this time, of course, comes this man named Gideon. And God was going to use Gideon to bring the people out of their sin and into a time of peace. Now, in this season, it says that the Midianites had come in and invaded the land, and the Midianites had brought with them the, the worship of Baal and set up these things called the Asherah poles, and the people found themselves, surprise, surprise, enslaved by the Midianites. And the Midianites would, um, well, actually, did anybody see the movie, or remember the movie, A Bug's Life? Bug's Life, that's a great one. I forget the name of like the cricket, but the whole story of the bug's life was that all these little bugs in their happy little compound or whatever it was, they would toil away all spring, all summer long, and then right before uh, the, the winter would come, the crickets would descend and they would ravage the land and eat all of the fruits of their labor. And Disney Pixar stole this directly from this story in the Bible, and I will prove it to you right now, starting in verse 5 right here. They, this is the Midianites, came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. <laughs> it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And so it is that the people of God are living a bug's life, being ravaged and impoverished by the Midianites. And so it is this time that a man named Gideon finds himself, along with the people of God, hiding not in the plains where they would shepherd their animals and plant their crops, but hiding out in the hill country, amongst the caves, amongst the crags. And he finds himself trying to thresh some wheat so he could get some food, and yet he's doing this in a wine press. So just so we understand fully what's going on, Gideon has left the promised land, it is hiding in the hill country, is in a wine press, trying to thresh wheat so he has something to eat. And this is what the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 12, you can pull it up there. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God, 
turn your face away from me. God, why, why are you even looking at me? Here I am hiding. Here I am trying to thresh wheat. Here I am camped out in this wine press. And you are calling to me, mighty warrior? I think you've got the wrong guy. I think you've got this situation mixed up. See, he's in this mixed up situation. He's in this messed up situation. And yet it is God who sees so clearly already what he has planned and in store for him and for the people of God. God is calling to him mighty warrior. And yet here he is hiding out in this wine press. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me, God. Turn your face away from me. I can just hear the echo of the cry of his heart in this. But here's what happens now in this exchange. Let's just, let's just jump to verse 13 and start reading through. I'll just read this whole big section here through, eight, through 18. Pardon me, my Lord. Yeah, he's a polite at least. <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord. He doesn't know that he, he, this is one of those situations where he doesn't yet realize he's coming in, 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 into face-to-face here with God. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. (laughs) At least he's still being polite. (laughs) Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Will you say that with me? I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon keeps saying, Lord, are you really with us? Lord, how can I go in the strength that I have? I'm hiding in a wide press. Lord, I'm, I'm the, my clan is the weakest in all the land. Lord, I'm the, the least in my family. And, and yet it is God who is saying, I am with you. It is God who is saying, I have given you the strength to go and defeat your enemies. It is God who is saying, I am sending you. It is God who is saying, you will defeat the Midianites. It is God who is saying, I will be patient with you until you bring this offering for me. We keep making excuses and God keeps giving us promises. Right, friends? We keep making excuses and God keeps giving us his promises. He turns his face toward us. He shines his light upon us. He is working to be gracious to us and to give us his peace. And yet we keep pulling away. This is the pattern repeated so often in these stories of 
Scripture. A man named Jacob was on the run from his family and from his brother Esau. He had fooled him. He had fooled his family. He had, he had betrayed himself in stealing a birthright. And he's lived his life out on the lamb, away from God and away from his people for so long. And then one night, he decides to, he's on the run and he lays down his head on a rock, it seems. And he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees this, this staircase between heaven and earth and angels ascending and, and, and descending. And he, he, he wakes up. And this is what he says when he wakes up. Pull up uh, Genesis 28, starting verse 15. This is what the Lord says. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In 2 Kings then chapter 6, as God is fulfilling his promise to his people, he's using a man named Elisha to free the people and to set them into a pattern of peace and obedience. And they find themselves in, this, in the city of Dothan. And they're surrounded by the Arameans. And, and Elisha has this servant. And the servant says, you know, we're going we're gonna to die. And, and it's so awesome. And then, Gideon, and then sorry, Elisha just says he's going to pray that his eyes would be open. And this is what he says here in verse 17. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked. And he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. A young boy named Samuel has been given to the house of God and under the care of a priest named Eli. And he goes down to bed one night and he hears the Lord calling his name. But he thinks it's Eli. And he goes to Eli, yes, Lord, I'm here. And Eli says, I wasn't calling you. And he goes back to bed. And the Lord calls him again. And Eli says, that wasn't me calling you. And then Eli is still wise enough to have the insight. If the voice speaks a third time, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Samuel went back to bed. And for a third time, God spoke to him. And he responded, speak, Lord, for your servant is now finally and fully listening to you. And then... Two men are walking along this road called Emmaus. And this is after Jesus has been crucified and buried. And, and some of the women have said Jesus rose from the dead, but they think that all has been lost and that Jesus has been defeated. And they're walking along this road, and it says that this stranger came up to them. And, the stranger, and he said to these two men, why the long faces? And they said, have you not heard? Are you not aware of all the events that have happened in Jerusalem? The one that we thought was the Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, died. And was buried. And then it says that Jesus, beginning with the, right at the beginning, opened up the scriptures to them and, and told them how everything had to happen in accordance for the fulfillment of the promise of the coming of the Messiah. And then they get back to the house and he breaks the bread and, and, and he prays. And whenever he prays, it says that their, their eyes were open and their, their hearts, it said, their, it said, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was speaking to us? See, this is the story of Scripture over and over again. 
We keep making excuses. We keep seeing ourselves as, as bugs in the eyes of the armies that stand before us. We keep seeing ourselves as the weakest. We keep calling ourselves the least of these. And it is God who comes to be with us. How awesome is this place? How awesome is this place when we, like Jacob, realize how God is surely here. And this is the house of our Lord. How awesome is this place when we, like Elisha, have our eyes open and realize that those who stand against us are so much greater than those who stand, sorry, those who stand with us are so much greater than those who stand against us. How awesome is this place when we open our ears and we to hear the Lord speaking, I am with you. How awesome is this place when our hearts are opened and they burn with a passion of the Spirit living within us, calling us back to the God who has been with us each and every step of the way. Amen, friends? Our God is calling to us. Our God is with us. Well, the story of Gideon continues. Gideon brings his sacrifice to God, and it is accepted. And his eyes are opened to recognize what is happening before him. And once the sacrifice is accepted, he's willing then to receive his marching orders and instructions. And his instructions are to go and to tear down the altars to the false gods. The only problem, of course, is that his family is the ones who built the altar to the false gods. That's a whole other sermon there when you get into it with family. So he goes in the cover of night and tears down all of the altar to the false gods that his own family had established. Well, his family isn't too happy about that. The people aren't too happy of that, about that. War is now imminent with the Midianites who take this as a great offense and as a throwing down of the gauntlet that it is time to go to war. Gideon gets afraid again. In a famous story, he puts out a fleece and says, you know, God, if this is really what you want me to do, you know, make the, make the fleece wet and the, the, the ground dry all around it. By the way, that's so weird, you know, I mean, just, I mean the, the, the tests we give to God can be so weird sometimes. And then in the morning, he wrings out a whole bowl full of water from the fleece. He says, God, if you'll be patient with me, one more test. Tonight now, make the ground wet with dew and the fleece completely dry. And God is gracious and patient and peaceful towards him. And it goes just as he said. And all of this then leads us to chapter 7. And then chapter 7 is where it gets really exciting. Because in chapter 7, the armies are about to go to battle. The people of God, under the leadership of Gideon, they already think that they're outnumbered, yet they have 32,000 in their army. And God says it's too many. You might still think you did it by your own strength, that you didn't need me with you. And so he instructs Gideon to say, if you're afraid, just leave. And all but 10,000 leave. And then God says, hmm still too many. They might still think they did it under their own strength. So then he creates this little thing with the lapping up of the water, and it dwindles down to 300. And with 300, with 300 men, they defeat the Midianite army. Not by their own strength, not by their own power, not by their own will or might, but because God promised to be with them and to deliver them. And that is exactly what God did. And then we read then at the very end, as we turn to chapter 8, 
We'll just pick up here and read verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your sons, and your grandson. By the way, did you realize Gideon all this time was a grandparent? Grandparents, you can still be the great warriors of our God, leading our church, leading your family, leading your children and your grandchildren. Rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor my son rule over you. Who will rule over us? The Lord. The Lord will rule over us. I'll invite the band to come up, and they're going to get ready to take us out with some time of worship, because we're going to need some time of worship Because as we wrap up this With Us series, I want to give you some reflections that are going to walk us back through the past several weeks. And it's all right if you haven't been with us the past several weeks. I hope these reflections will help draw you in to where you need to be and where you can meet with God here in this space this morning. You see, what I've learned in the past two months is that the God who is with us is inviting me to draw closer and to be with him. That the God who promised at Christmas, I will be Emmanuel, I will be with you, has been fulfilling that promise to his people and to me ever since that Christmas morning. That I am invited to step into a relationship and to be with God as he has promised to be with us always to the very end of the age. And so each and every day, I'm invited to step into the promise that God is with me, and you are invited as well. We are all invited to step into the promise that God is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and to each day invite the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to draw us closer to Him. Each and every day, you and I have this invitation that we can be with God in His Word. And if we spend some time with Him in His Word, He can be with us in a unique and powerful way throughout the day. And more and more I experience, even in a simple devotional reading of God's Word, it is uncanny, it is absolutely uncanny how that Word will come to be a blessing, not just for myself, but even others who I speak with and interact with later that same day, it blows my mind how God prepares me with the words. Each and every one of us has been invited to be with God by being with His body because the promise is that when we gather in His name, He shows up with us in a powerful way and we can be with one another in these times of worship. We can be with one another in our service. We can be with one another in our groups. The promise is that God will be with us. And being with Jesus means that we are willing to go to the other side with Him. Being with Jesus means we go to that other side, whatever that other side is, that other person, that other group, that that place where you've been afraid to to go. But, But being with Jesus means that He calls us out of the comfort zone. He calls us out of these comfortable places. He says, go with me. And then you will experience how I can be more powerful, more real, more alive to you because you've put yourself out there and taken this risk. Being with Jesus means that the people on the other side, of course, don't always accept us. (laughs) And sometimes they say, go, depart from us. 
being with Jesus and going to the other side sometimes means that there is no going home because once we leave the old, we can never swing back around and come back as the same people because God has changed us and done something in us and done something through us and he's moving us forward closer in relationship with him. I'm learning more and more that being with Jesus means that sometimes following him actually means following him into the storms of life. That being obedient and being with Jesus means that he doesn't save us from the storms, but sometimes he takes us right into it so we can feel his presence more and more as we know we need to cling to him. I'm learning more that being with Jesus means that whenever we get to the other side, sometimes we go right into the graveyard, right into the darkest places where people are experiencing possession and oppression by forces greater than them. But being with Jesus means that we can call out these false gods, these addictions, these demons that hold power over us. And by, by being at the feet of Jesus, we can have mastery over them and closeness with him. I'm learning more and more that being with God means that we go with him and along the way, Along the way, incredible things can happen. And some of the best moments of ministry happen when we're simply along the way and available to be used by him to the people that we encounter. I'm learning more and more that to be with Jesus is to never be a bother. That we do not bother him with our burdens. We do not bother him by laying all of our cares, all of our worries at his feet. I'm learning more and more that being with Jesus means that sometimes he doesn't bring a healing. Although he does bring healing, sometimes he brings something even better, even brings a resurrection. I'm learning more and more that to be with Jesus is to define my relationship with him as my master, my Lord, and my Savior, and that I want my life to be defined by this relationship more than anything else. So before we leave here today, before we exit this place and we get filled with sort of the distractions and the pushes and the pulls of the world, let's settle our lives, let's settle our hearts, let's focus ourselves to recognize that God is with us here in this space. That God is giving us the invitation to be with him. And to swing all the way back around to that image, if it resonates with you at all, allow that to stick in your mind in the coming days or the weeks ahead and to recognize that it is God who is reaching out to each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. It is God who is straining toward us and offering himself to us. And let our response not be, eh, whatever, <laughs> or even worse, to withdraw let us take the hand of God that is reaching out to us. Let us embrace the love of God that has been opened up to us. Let us be with the God who has given himself to be with us ever and always. Let me pray for us, friends. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this promise of Christmas given to us that we've been living into for the past two months. And even though we're wrapping this up today, May we not forget about it. May we not forget about it ever. May we not neglect this gift. May it not grow old or dark or dim in the light of our eyes, Lord. 
But may we live ever and always, each and every day, each and every moment of every day, in the promise that you are with us and that you can be with us and we can abide with you and you abide with us, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. May we sense, may we feel, may we grow into this promise for all of our days. In between our birth and in between our glory with you forever, may we know that you are with us always to the very end of this age. We believe this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I invite our team to come forward, and they're going to receive some of our gifts and offerings as our act of worship unto God. This is also an opportunity to take that connection card and maybe you can share an update or share a prayer request. We'd love to be in prayer with you.